Hey there. Ever feel like you just need a break from the day-to-day of work, put on that out of office and be alongside peers learning from fellow nonprofits and industry experts on what they see working when it comes to fundraising, marketing, growing a monthly giving program, retention, everything that encompasses what you do? Well, if so, I have two events for you to mark down. June 4th and 5th is Donor Perfect's Community Conference Spark. It is for any fundraiser wanting to excel in donor management, program innovation, community engagement, and organizational growth, and it is free. So click the link in the show notes to register. And then an event that I have attended three years in a row is the NEO Summit, combining practical, actionable, and very data-informed content with also this really electric and immersive atmosphere. The NEO Summit is more than just a conference. It is a really fun and great place to get away from your desk and innovate your fundraising and accelerate your impact. So you can join hundreds of your fellow nonprofit professionals in Indianapolis in September on the 18th and 19th. And you can save $600 on your ticket right here. It is the lowest price available anywhere. So click the link in the show notes for both of these events. They are incredible. They put on an incredible speaker presentation, all tons of great resources for you. Invest in yourself and the growth of your organization by attending these two phenomenal events. Video is so powerful and it's such a powerful tool for quickly getting people familiar with your work and extending a powerful invitation into your work. And so I knew like, okay, if we could create a relatively short documentary film about Dressember, that would be such a great tool for our existing community to be able to share, like people who have been supporting our work as fundraisers or as donors or both, to be able to share quickly, like, hey, this is why I do Dressember. Hey there, you're listening to the Missions to Movements podcast, and I'm your host, Dana Snyder digital strategist for nonprofits and founder and CEO of Positive Equation. This show highlights the digital strategies of organizations making a positive impact in the world. Ready to learn the latest trends, actionable tips, and the real stories from behind the feed? Let's transform your mission into a movement. Video is one of the most powerful storytelling tools worth the investment to excite and educate others about your mission. So many micro decisions go into creating the end product that people can watch all over the world. Once it's created, what's the distribution plan? What kind of ad spend makes sense? Today, I am joined by two amazing women from Dressember, the founder, Blythe Hill, and communications coordinator, Stephanie Schindler, to share the strategies behind their 2021 documentary launch, how they integrated the film as a tool for their advocates, and what they focus on with a small yet mighty team of four to help end human trafficking. Okay, today I feel like it's a reunion because I get to talk to one of my favorite organizations based in Los Angeles that I used to work with. And so it's kind of like friends and family coming back together. So I'm here with Belaith and Stephanie from Dressember. Hey, ladies. Hi. Hi, Dana. It's so good to have you both here. It's so good to see your faces. We're doing this on video. So for those of you listening on the podcast, I'm able to see them. And we're going to share a couple pieces of content with you. So if you do want to see those, I will link to them in the show notes but for later. But Blythe, let's just go all the way back because I think what got me intrigued with Dress Ember was watching some of your very early pieces of content. So going way back to 2009, you decided to wear a dress every day of Dress Ember in order to raise awareness for human trafficking. Can you share how you were doing that and kind of how that came about? Yes. So if we go all the way back to 2009, like honestly, I mean, pre-campaign, like just as a fashion challenge, personal style challenge, the platform I was using was Blogspot. So this was like OG blogger days. I had a blog with a modest following. And so I was posting (laughs) there 
my daily photos. And then in 2011, I got an iPhone and that's when I got Instagram. Oh and my gosh. Moved, moved <laughs> us to Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So Instagram at that point, I mean, that was a, a game changer from Blogspot, right? Like we, we just. Oh yeah. And MySpace maybe even back then. Definitely had a MySpace. I don't know if I still had it in 2009. I mean, I probably did, but I don't know if it was super active. But yeah, the MySpace live journal, mellow, mellow yeah, (laughs) (laughs) just such a different time. And I remember Instagram being so revolutionary because of hashtags, like having a way to really unify or like just create a conversation online was really revolutionary. Yeah, we go back and we have those really horrible filtered Instagram posts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, when it's so interesting, so essentially your whole concept, it started online to raise awareness and get people involved. And you kind of started with talking about Instagram. How has social media really played a part since all the way back then leading into the growth of Dress Ember and where you are now? I think social media has been like the number one accelerator for our growth. When I talk about our growth, it's like the partnerships and collaborations with other organizations and brands have been a huge part. And then I would say just as importantly is social media for creating that global conversation, bringing people into the conversation who care about anti-trafficking work and just allowing us to fairly organically spread what we're doing in like a digital word of mouth way. It has been and continues to be like our main channel, our main way of reaching new people and continuing to grow our movement. How has maybe since the beginning, has your platforms shifted where you spend maybe the most time? And maybe, I don't know, Stephanie, if you want to jump into this too. Well, I was just going to speak to the, in the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning, Instagram, Facebook were the main ones. And then Steph, maybe you can speak to like where we're at now. Sure. I would say from those early days of building community on Facebook, we still have a ton of advocates who like to find community in our Facebook groups. So, you know, there's still a strong dialogue happening there where folks are sharing resources, they're sharing tips and tricks and ideas, they're getting emotional support from each other. So that's still holding really strong. And then I would say our biggest place of engagement is actually in our Instagram stories. We see folks watch and interact with our stories the most out of all of our social platforms. So throughout campaign season, We try to have a lot of FaceTime on stories. You know, we want to be directly speaking with not just advocates, but community members as well to be educating them with the most up-to-date field updates from our partners. We want to be empowering them in their fundraising journeys, and we want to be answering their questions in real time. I think that's the beauty of having such a small team is that we can be reactive to our community's needs and also survivors and victims' needs. I love that. And I think what's so important about Instagram stories, and I'll say I've been able to bring on most of the guests for this show with an Instagram DM. It's either LinkedIn DMs or Instagram DMs really primarily. And I think the beauty of when somebody responds to you in a story or they engage with you in a story, you can see that interaction and then you can have an individual one-on-one connection. And then that develops that sense of community and personalization, right? So it's like, if somebody just for instance, for those that aren't familiar, if you're on Instagram stories, and you engage with a question or a poll, the brand is able to see that you engaged individually, and then they could go and respond to you. So creating that really one to one connection, which I think is so powerful that you talked about. And Stephanie, you kind of leaned on team. I think sometimes people from the outside, and I remember this when I worked in the PR world, think that there's a huge marketing team making everything happen. And you just kind of leaned on, we're a lean team. What kind of team does it take to manage the digital marketing for Dress Ember? Yes. So it is a small but mighty team. (laughs) I would say (laughs) Blythe and I have been spearheading creative direction and strategic direction 
And we have an incredible group of interns that we do our best to empower their creativity, bring them into our voice. All of us are really on social, getting a pulse on what our community is talking about and what questions they have. So it allows us internally to brainstorm pretty quickly and respond pretty quickly to the community conversation. But it's definitely a very lean team. But that also leaves room for not a lot of red tape. We can be really creative. We can try new things. We can experiment. And it's all happening very much in real time. Awesome. I think that's such a huge part of what social media is, right? It changes all the time. You even saying we're responding, we're proactive in responding to the needs of what our community is asking for. Instead of saying like, this is our plan for the month. We're not going to adjust or change. We're not going to pivot at all. And I think that's so smart to be able to have that. We're going to take some risks. We can experiment a little. We can be playful with things to figure out what's going to work best for our audience and kind of make sure that we're educating and providing what they need to be supporters for our organization. Blythe, maybe this is a question for you. What would a dream marketing team look like? (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, like Steph said, we're a scrappy team. We get a lot done with just a few people, like literally a few, four people across our total team, not even just marketing. Yeah. Yeah. If we had a dream marketing team, Steph and I, when we talk about this, you know, if we had the ability, the budget really to bring on some specialists in certain categories, you know, having someone who's our social media person or even better, like our Instagram person and a TikTok person and, you know, a different kind of specialist for each platform to really help us grow and have a unique strategy for each platform and each algorithm that is constantly changing. That would be really wonderful. I think adding someone who could really dig into like data analytics across platforms and help us develop a smarter, not harder strategy for every platform would be really wonderful. We have so much data that we are just unable, like, you know, we could spend hours and hours and hours like harvesting and analyzing data. So having someone who would be dedicated to that would be wonderful. Steph, I'd love to hear your additions to this actually. Yeah, sure. To piggyback off of data analytics, I think combining that with a strategist who can really dig into audience segmentation. We talk to so many different kinds of people, whether it's current advocates, future advocates, donors, community members, folks in our industry, folks who are fighting alongside us and survivors who are listening and asking for help. There are so many different kinds of messaging that that requires. And it's such a human movement it needs that nuance, right? So having someone that can really look directly into our data and say, okay, like these are the five main groups that you need to hone in on. And this is their age and this is their gender and their demographic. I mean, of course, like there is some of that that is currently accessible to us through our own strategies and our own platforms, but there's always so much deeper that you can go, especially as Blythe said, with the wealth of data that we have. I think it would just evolve the like the journey of all of those yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Really figuring out like what's the direction we want them to take. Yes. Yes. How to bring them along in this movement, how to make sure, you know, our messaging is sensitive and, you know, trauma informed to each group. Currently, I think. We have a unified voice that we try to make sure is empathetic and respectful across the board, but certainly different people need different things. So I think that that would be one way that, you know, a data analyst or a strategist could really aid us. So you've both been talking about messaging a lot, and I think that's really important. I want to like pause on that for a second, especially working with interns that might be coming in and helping you, right? And they probably come and go maybe as semesters happen if they're in college. How did you come up with messaging or structure that? And then part B of this question is, how do you find the interns that you work with to help you with your work? So part A, 
how did you create your messaging so that everyone kind of has a foundation of how to help and respond? So they don't have to like, probably every second you don't want to intern me, Stephanie, does this copy look okay? Right. In order to respond. (laughs) So how did you work on that messaging, like brand document? And then how do you find these amazing interns to help you? We have a brand document, like a brand style guide and our brand voice kind of outlined. And so we do go over that with incoming interns and make sure they really understand the voice. I think the second part of the question kind of helps inform the first part of the question, which is <laughs> most of our interns are coming from the existing Dressember community. So we have this benefit of them kind of already understanding and hearing and for the most part being fluent in the Dressember voice as well. So awesome. yeah, that's a, a really wonderful part of having such a large and vibrant community as we have never really struggled to find interns, knock on wood, you know, like I'm just continue to be so grateful that people want to give of their time and energy toward our organization, our mission. And we do try to make it valuable for them as well. And we recently started offering a stipend to our interns as well. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to share something with the podcast listeners and the community, something that I think is really extraordinary that you worked on last year. And that was the December documentary. And I want to play the trailer. For those of you listening on the podcast versus on video, I will link it in the show notes. You can go to December.org backslash video. And I'm going to go ahead and play it so you can at least listen to the audio. And the audio itself is powerful. And then Blaise, after it plays, I'd love to kind of talk about the behind the scenes of, of how this happened. This is a story about how a dress has changed my life and tens of thousands of lives around the world. Human trafficking is absolutely happening in every country of the world. We're doing something that's a little bit silly to really fight something that's anything but silly. We couldn't believe everything people were doing in a dress. We were changing lives with a simple change of clothes. I'm seeing my idea outgrow me to the point that I am running to keep up with it, that I can't dream big enough and I'm inviting others to dream bigger with me. None of us choose where we're born, but we can choose what we do with our life. This is something we can absolutely solve in our lifetime. My name is Blythe Hill, and I'm the CEO and founder of Dress Over Foundation. Okay, so that video is incredible. Literally every single time that I listen to it, every single time that I watch it, it gives me chills. The music, the pulse of the video, the visuals in the video, the script of it is amazing. Blythe, can you kind of take us behind the scenes of like, how did this documentary come to be? Why was it created? How long did it take? Who produced it? (laughs) I have so many questions. You just want to get (laughs) asking. Yeah, yeah, it's such great questions and and thank you. I'm glad that you like it and that it has the like shiver inducing effect that it we intended, yeah. right? So this video came about, I mean really this is years in the making in terms of I've been wanting to do this for years and just trying to find budget and time to do it frankly. It's the name of the game in the nonprofit world or so much like patience and you really got to have a long vision, but a few years ago, I realized like, I mean, video is so powerful and it's such a powerful tool for quickly getting people familiar with your work and extending a powerful invitation into your work. And so I knew like, okay, if we could create a relatively short documentary film about Dressember, that would be such a great tool for our existing community to be able to share like people who have been supporting our work as fundraisers or as donors or both to be able to share quickly like hey this is why I do dress ember this is why I support dress ember that was the ultimate goal is like yeah giving them just this easy tool that they can share whether it's just on social media or hosting little info nights where they share the documentary yeah. just giving them i mean we are always trying to give tools to our community of fundraisers ultimately to make it easier and more impactful for them to be part of our work. And it's beautiful. It's so well done. So, I mean, it might've taken a while and the patience probably was hard to get there, (laughs) but I think like the video that became is amazing. How long 
once you started the process saying, yes, we're going to do a video, how long did it take from like start to end? We did it relatively fast. So we started chatting with the filmmakers in March or April last year, 2021. We started filming in May of 2021. And then our goal was to launch it in September. And there were just some delays. And honestly, that was a a really, really short timeline to ask of anyone, but we were able to release it in November. So still ahead of the peak campaign time or really right at the peak campaign time. So it was still good timing. I mean, yeah, we did it in about six to eight months. We worked with Mm -hmm. Jason Russell and his team at Broomstick Engine. They were fantastic to work with. Yeah. For those who don't know, he's done so many amazing videos. IJM, A21. I think obviously he's most known for Charity Water. Yeah. 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 Amazing, amazing content. So for somebody looking to do something like this, what was your role in the video process? Well, the way Jason likes to work, I was very involved from early ideation, storyboarding, the concept and arc of the story, the voiceover script. Like I, I was really involved the whole way. I guess from his eyes and in retrospect, I need it to be right. Like it's my story. It's my, I've just been in the day in day out with December for years now. So being so involved with every piece of it and then allowing him to find a new way to tell that story and to tell it visually and find out or him kind of lead when to have these powerful moments and I guess the overall arc of the story. So it was was very collaborative, like even more so than I expected. Like I sort of thought like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to give over all creative control and he will just run with it. And it was a lot more collaborative than, yeah. So it was very, I mean, what he told me early on in the process is like, this is going to be like a part-time job in addition to the full-time job that you already have. Yeah. So setting expectations that like, yes, it will be very involved. So I definitely wouldn't recommend doing this if you don't have the ability to carve out time and space time. to do it. Well, because you want it to be done well, right? And if you're going to spend, you mentioned setting the budget aside, if you're going to set aside the budget for something like this, to be able to give your organization, your supporters tools to be able to use and for it, videos live on unless you take it down. But if it's shared, then it's living on regardless. So you want it to be something of value to everyone. Can I ask you about, you talk about the budget for the video. How is that structured out? It was a big investment. We were able to negotiate. I mean, I think the initial pie in the sky proposal was like $125,000. I got really creative with like, hey, what (laughs) what if you do these parts of it? I step in even more with some of these parts and I can piece together the like post production editing, color correcting team. So I think all in, I mean, we definitely got it below a hundred thousand. It was probably closer to 80. And then of course that's not including the paid advertising component, the distribution to get it out and ad management (laughs) component. So it was a big investment. And I, I know a lot of people don't realize how much of an investment something like that can be because I didn't, I was a little, had a little bit of sticker shock at first. And then even kind of piecing things together. It's like, oh, well, things still add up, you know, and and you want to pay people what they're worth. And it was months and months and months of work. Absolutely. And I think for those of you that don't know, my husband is a video producer. And I worked on American Idol when I was in LA as a digital producer. And sometimes we forget, I don't know if we forget or maybe just aren't aware at how much video production is expensive and all the roles that go into it. It's not just, hey, let's just pop up a video, but the pre-production work that goes into it. If you really break down that video, you talked about storyboarding. There's a script that goes back and forth. That was nearly a year long process. There's collecting of footage. You have to pay for the rights to the music that you want to use. There's endless editing hours. And I think sometimes we, we look at a finished product like, oh, it's a minute and 30 second video, not the <laughs> really long time and all the bodies that it took to work on something like that. Because I know sometimes my husband has the same thing where somebody's like, what, you're going to charge what for a video? And it's like, you're not thinking about, you need an audio person, you need a lighting person. Like everybody has their individual roles. And I firsthand living in LA, you get to see when you're on a set, 
truly how many people there are just to make something possible. So I love that. So speaking to where you were kind of going into with ad spend, after the video was done in November, what was the plan for distribution? We worked with an agency called Community Boost for our ad strategy. So we dedicated a chunk of funds both towards advertising, I mean, primarily YouTube and Facebook, which also covers Instagram, and then also our Google ad management, but ultimately like driving everyone towards watching either the trailer or the 17 minute full video. So we started with them. We actually started with Community Boost probably in September or October to kind of warm our audience and reach new viewers as well, or people unfamiliar, tangential audiences, and then to deliver the video to those same people after they're warmed. So that's a very high level. I was not in the weeds with the, (laughs) with the ad management or like the specific strategy, but I appreciated how much it took to, you know, just AB tests, like which verbiage is going to work best, which form of the video, which slice I remember seeing of them. audience. I was targeted. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see a difference? I was too. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. It's yeah, always funny. Did you see a difference in YouTube versus like the Facebook, Instagram success? You know, what I love about YouTube is the cost per view is so low, but I know engagement on Facebook ads tended to do better because I'm hesitant to like speak about it because I'm so not the ad management expert, but it seemed like the targeting was a little better on Facebook and and Instagram. Gotcha. I launched a video back in 2019 for a client on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, primarily Facebook and YouTube. And I'd say the biggest difference I noticed, and I think this is still true today, is YouTube people watch longer. Usually there's a much longer retention rate because of just the nature of the platform, that's what you're there to do is watch videos. And you normally are searching for something versus when you're scrolling on Facebook or Instagram, and you might come across something that's interesting, but your purpose was not to find it necessarily. So I remember a few years ago, our retention rate, the average watch time, I think on YouTube was probably for an hour long video. So it was much longer. What's the full length of the documentary? 17 minutes. 17 minutes. Okay. So yeah, much shorter. So I think our average time was about half. So we were getting people for 24, I think to 26 minutes on YouTube. That's amazing. To watch the whole thing. But in Facebook was probably like three minutes. Mm. So significant drop. That's still a long time to watch a video on Facebook. But that was really interesting. How long did you do the ad spend for around kind of the launch of the video? Or is that still happening today? It's paused right now. The main, it was, yeah, November, December, and a little bit into January was kind of the the bulk of our spend. And yeah, something interesting that I, that I learned in the process was YouTube viewers are largely male. And so that can really affect the engagement as well and retention. But yeah, we, we were very intentional, like even in the editing process, like you have six seconds on YouTube or maybe it's less, like you have the first six seconds of the video need to like, you need to grab people. And then Jason's approach, which I really admire is like really every six to 15 seconds, you got to like rehook people, like keep Mm -hmm. them, keep them with you. So whether it's the music or the arc of the story, just giving them something new to be hooked by. I learned a lot in the process. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's really interesting. So that is all very strategically thought out mm-hmm. throughout the process of the story. I am loving this conversation. I wanted to take a quick second and share my new masterclass with you, how to attract recurring donors without posting to social media. What? Yep, I said it. RSVP at positiveequation.com backslash masterclass to learn three costly mistakes you could be making with your social ad strategy and how to fix them to engage new recurring donors. Go to positiveequation.com backslash masterclass. I hope to see you there. Now let's get back to our guest. How do you think that one piece of content has impacted the organization, probably just during your main campaign time? 
Yeah. Steph, you want to speak to that one? Yes. So I think that there are many ways that it impacted our, you know, peak fundraising season. The main call to action for the video was to join the Dressember Collective, which is our monthly giving program. I'm a part of it. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) There we go. I love meeting a collective member, a fellow collective member. Yeah. So the main call to action, yes, was to join the collective and to commit to year-long sustained liberation. You know, that isn't only targeted to our advocates, that's targeted to our wider audience, to donors and our community. I think the video from an education perspective was really able to communicate why it's so important to commit to this for the long term, to commit to this fight for the long term. So we did see an uptick in collective signups there, which was great. And then We also saw how much it empowered our advocates when they needed to share about Dressember with their community. While we talked a lot about how our paid spend was a big part of our strategy, we also invested a lot in how organically we would be sharing this video. So our way in always is to provide transparent resources to our advocates and with hands held, walk them through how to use these resources so that they feel confident in their storytelling. So, you know, we developed host guides for how you can host a screening party at your, you know, if you have kids at the local school, or if you're in college, how to host a screening with your local chapter, or how to do it at work and things of that nature. So that way, our advocates are our most powerful storytellers and our most powerful supporters for getting other communities in to the fold and into the movement. So we wanted to, number one, make sure that they felt good about sharing this documentary. And, you know, it was a big part of our email strategy, promoting the video, but also promoting how to share the video. And we uploaded it to Instagram. We uploaded it to Facebook, to all our social channels, because while it's great to get these aggregated views on YouTube or on Facebook, where internally, at least we can see the return on our investment. What's most important is making this information as as accessible as possible. So we wanted it to be super easy to find, really easy for other folks to share. And so we just were really happy to see how much dialogue it sparked and how useful it was for our advocates during campaign season. You do an amazing job at providing tools for your supporters. So firsthand, I participated in your virtual 5k right when COVID was happening. And I tell this to everyone, creating a peer to peer fundraiser, which is what dress up the month of December is about and then having the collective as like the monthly giving program. The virtual 5k normally when somebody joins a peer to peer fundraiser, they're kind of lost at what should my goal be? How much should I raise? If I go too high, I'm afraid I might not reach that goal. How do I talk about different dollar amounts? How can I share this? Is there content that I should be able to use? And I remember even for your 5k, right on the site, there was very clear dollar impact amounts like this amount helps us to be able to do this. And then there was information about that impact. And so I know for me, you guys use fundraise and I connected my peer-to-peer page with my Facebook page, which they do so nicely. And I went live on Facebook, was able to connect it to my fundraiser. I talked to people about why my goal was this amount, broke it down by how many people I wanted. And while I was doing my warm-up walk to the 5K, I raised my entire goal. (laughs) And it was amazing. And that was because you made it so easy for me to be able to articulately feel educated about this is why I'm fundraising for this organization. They are like providing me with everything that I need to be successful and to talk about the organization. So I think this is another beautiful piece of content. And I'll just say, I didn't know about human trafficking until I watched the movie, The Whistleblower way back. I think this was right when I graduated college, but it was a piece of content, right? It was a video that led me to know that 
this horrific thing exists in our world. And so I think by providing these educational resources that kind of open our eyes to things and share them, it creates dialogue and conversation. So I love that. And I think videos and investing in them is so important because it creates that story. I mean, Blythe, you've done them. Your TED Talk, right, is another great example. It's content that lives on, that tells a story. So I think it's so powerful. I think it's definitely worth the investment. Stephanie, I don't know if you want to talk to this. On the peer-to-peer side of things, during the month of December, what are a few of like the digital marketing tactics that really encourage people to sign up and to fundraise during that time of the year? So, of course, we want to be speaking to folks who have signed up in years past. We want to empower them to recommit. We want to empower them to say like, hey, like we have a fundraising toolkit again. Here's an easy way to make a team. Here's an easy way to encourage your friends to join. So, you know, that's our first way in, I would say. And then this past November, we actually ran a pretty cool recruitment tool where we had some really generous major donors help us build a fund for new advocates. So it was sort of like a invite your friends <laughs> to join you in December. And if you signed up before the start of the campaign season, we would allocate $50 towards your fundraising page to help you get closer to your goal. With this idea that you're a part of a community, you're not doing this alone. It's a very big, scary issue and a big, scary goal, right? Individually. So we wanted new folks who are new to Dress Ember to immediately feel like they had support, not just from the friends who were inviting them to be on their team, but also from us as an organization that says, we see you, we see this commitment that you're making, and we want to show you some value to that. So that's one major thing we do to get folks to sign up. We often around that time also have a Giving Tuesday match campaign. This is all right at the end of November when people are making some crucial decisions. (laughs) If they're going to put on a dress or tie again or do it for the first time if they've been watching their friends or family and community members do it for years. And so for the couple days before the end of November, we're promoting a match campaign. So it's all of these incentives, I would say, that communicate to potential advocates you are not in this alone. Like we will hold your hand throughout the entire process. And we care about helping you get to your fundraising goal. We care about empowering you to share this story, to share educational resources. And we're going to keep giving you new ones. Here's a taste. We'll give you new stuff every single day of the week, (laughs) every single week. Just keeping it fresh and keeping them engaged. That's amazing. I know you guys spend a lot of time on Instagram. Do you see any particular platform that provides the best signups? Interestingly, I'd say our email campaigns also provide really good signups. I mean, we, speaking to the data from earlier, we have been able to build a pretty robust subscriber list for our emails. And so we do a lot of direct communication through there. We also invest in texting people directly. You know, we were running ad campaigns, as Blake said, for recruitment. So it's definitely not just going in through social. While that is a huge area for us, we want to make sure that we're communicating holistically wherever we can. I love that. So you mentioned text and email. Do you use a platform for the SMS? So we actually use Fundraise for SMS. So it's nice because all of our contacts are already integrated and we can do some pretty unique audience segmentation for sending some pretty direct CTAs (laughs) to our audience. That's awesome. That's great. So that's built right in. I don't think I was aware of that. That's awesome. For emails, that's separate though, right? Yes. We currently use MailChimp. Okay. Okay. That's awesome that you can do SMS right through there. I think, I guess, what's the primary demographic of somebody who participates or does it vary? Yeah, I mean, 90% women, although we are 
always actively trying to get more men involved. And then it's kind of split between the like 18 to 23 kind of college student demographic and then like 30 to 35 female kind of young mom. Yeah. Mom of young kids is what I mean by that. Not young mom. To cultivate that audience, have you run any like influencer marketing campaigns or worked with any ambassadors in the past? Yeah, we've worked with influencers and celebrities. I would say we've had more complex influencer marketing strategies in the past. We've kind of moved away from that because what we have found is it's great for awareness. I think when people see a celebrity or influencer talking about Dressember, it's like great for brand recognition and awareness. But in terms of recruitment and acquiring new fundraisers, people seem to respond best if someone they know, like a friend, is doing it and ask them to join them. So that's what we want. And it's like, well, how do we, let's spend more time on that, more time and energy on that. I mean, we still have partnerships with celebrities and influencers. I just, we don't spend as much time, energy, money, strategy there. I totally agree. It's more of a buzz factor. Mm -hmm. I recently for our client project, did a focus group with high school students. And something that was so interesting that came up was they said, we can see right through if a celebrity is just like touting a brand and they probably haven't even tried it. Like they were very intuitive to know that they're just getting paid for that. Unless it was someone who over the course of months or a year was consistently integrated with said brand then they might think, okay, they actually like this organization and they have an affinity towards them and they like using their products or the cause. So people can also see through, I think sometimes when there's not a true relationship built there. And I think really what I'd love to know and share is maybe Stephanie, if you want to talk to this, is there anything new that you're testing right now when it comes to digital marketing? So at the time of this recording, it's February. So we're past kind of the main December month, but I'm sure you're still trying to work on building constantly people for the collective. What are the things that you're kind of working and testing on right now? Sure. I think that this time in our season is nice because we get to take a step back and do more experimenting. It's not so hyper-focused on getting everyone to January 31st, which is the end of our campaign. So something that we're trying to invest more in is video content, short form video content for social. A really easy way into that has been posting more reels and investigating what's trending there. But we're doing our best to figure out TikTok, man. (laughs) That (laughs) is where Gen Z lives. We want to engage more and more folks of that age range So we're trying to get our finger on the pulse of what's going on on TikTok, trying to see how we can promote the style challenge or just ethical fashion or other awareness about trafficking and see what works, see what categories people are attracted to. So I look forward to continuing some experimenting there and seeing if it's more of our quirky content that sticks with folks, or if they're truly looking for education and awareness about the nuances of trafficking during COVID. So there's really a ton to explore, but video content is definitely where we're, our eyes on the prize there. (laughs) Awesome. I'm so excited to see you play around with TikTok. That'll be really exciting. And it's always interesting to see what pops. You never know what's going to hit. And so it's just that constant cycle of let's just keep putting out new things edit things a little bit differently. And TikTok's great because it's the really raw, not edited pieces perform great. So yeah, I'm super excited to see you guys do some really creative things there. All right, we're going to jump into the last two sections of our conversation today. And one is called We Must Know. So Stephanie... I'm going to throw this one at you. We must know which social media platform, and I'm going to kind of guess your answer here, but which (laughs) social media platform are you most intrigued by right now? Definitely TikTok. As someone who is on the millennial Gen Z cusp, personally, I feel like I just missed it. (laughs) 
So <laughs> me too, girl. Me too. <laughs> like some of it is familiar and fun, and other parts of it, I'm like, what is going on? So <laughs> it's a really fun challenge, I think. So that is definitely what I'm most intrigued by. Awesome. Very cool. And Blaith, who would be your like somebody that you think people must follow online and on which platform? Oh, somebody you must follow. So many good ones. For nonprofits, I think following Charity Water and Dress Ember <laughs> is, I mean, Charity Water, like they're master storytellers and they're so engaging. And I wouldn't say like water is my pet issue. I hate that I said pet issue, but you know what I mean? Like that's not what I'm most passionate about, but they make you, they draw you in and you care. And so seeing the way that they do it on across all platforms, I think is really inspiring and informational in the nonprofit space or aspirational. Yeah. And then just on an individual level, I love this. Speaking of Gen Zers, I love this gal Zara who her Instagram is the soulful seeds, the soulful seed. She is so fun. She's mainly talking about climate issues, but she posts like weekly wins in climate change and is like dancing. And there it's so she has such a like light, fun and optimistic approach to educating and celebrating the like very minuscule progress we seem to be making when it comes to climate activism. But I am loving following her and she's about to launch another like a ethical clothing rental brand as well. She's she's 23. She's one to watch. She's amazing. Okay. She needs to be involved with Dress Ember, obviously. And she is. Oh, good. Oh, (laughs) yeah. She did Dress Ember this last season. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to link her in the show notes so that people can go follow her and get some creative ideas. Awesome. Thank you guys so much both of you for your time and being here. This last section is called ask and receive. So this is the part of the show where I want the listeners to be able to support you in the work that you're doing. So Blythe, I'll have you go first. And then Stephanie, I'll go to you. Blythe, what is one thing that you would like to ask for help or support on? Just one thing. (laughs) (laughs) I think one thing I will make a personal invitation for people, anyone listening to be part of the Dress Ember Collective, even if it's $5 a month. I mean, any amount of monthly giving is huge. Like I didn't understand being on the outside of the nonprofit world, just how huge monthly giving is, but it, especially for us where 90% of our funding comes in, in the month of December, if we can spread it out and have a more predictable revenue throughout the year. That is just huge. It helps us so much. And then from the other side, it's like the things that you will get, you'll get impact stories and unique exclusive perks, like partner items. We partner with a whole bunch of ethical brands and we're sending out partner gifts and exclusive access to our team, exclusive events. There's a bunch of things that we try to do to make it like to just thank our community of... And she's telling the truth, y'all. I know it because I receive all of these emails and I just filled out the partner support where I think it's earrings, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I know exactly what you're talking about. I donate. And here's my reason for why I support three different organizations monthly. I give $25 a month to each one. And I think literally to what you just said is, it's from my standpoint, I'm saying I believe in you and I'm committed to the long-term goal in your mission versus a one-time gift. And I want to be with you as the progress happens and to be part of the update. So I think sometimes when people think of monthly giving, they're like, oh, I need to give a large amount of money or else it's not going to make a difference. That's not true. That's not true. I mean, think about the power that Netflix has from people giving $13.99 a month. Actually, I think now it's getting raised to 15 something, $15 a month. And they produce billions of dollars of content because millions and millions of people give monthly. So we have the power to do that. Stephanie, ask and receive. What is one thing that you'd like to ask for help or support on? I'm really excited now being on staff to have such a strong involvement in building our virtual 5k this year and taking all the lessons that I've learned from trying to figure out a route in Baltimore City to (laughs) what it feels like to get a sponsor from a bar for a brunch or whatever it may be. I had the opportunity to 
speak not only as, you know, a content manager and communications person, but also as someone who wears an advocate hat. And I know what advocates need. I know what I needed to run these 5Ks, to organize these 5Ks. So it's really exciting. We're building it now. My ask would be to consider hosting one in your neighborhood. I mean, literally, it could be your block. (laughs) It doesn't have to be some huge formal event. But we have officially announced this week our virtual 5K on April 9th. Nice. This year, it's in just a couple months. And so we will be in true December fashion, delivering a plethora of resources <laughs> to those <laughs> who either want to host a 5K, want to run by themselves or with one other person in their neighborhood. However you want to approach it, I would ask folks to save the date, April 9th, and consider racing to restore. That's our theme this year. Love uh, because that. Because rescue is not enough. Love that. Blaith, Stephanie, thank you both so much for the incredible work that you do every single day and the impact that you're making in the lives of so many others and bringing all your advocates along with you as you do the good work. Where can listeners connect with you? Blaith, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, Instagram's a great place. We're just December on Instagram. You also can visit our website, dressember.org. Dressember.org slash 5K is where you can find more information and sign up for the 5K. And you can also sign up for our email list there. Awesome. Steph, how can people reach out to you personally? So I'm always in the Dressember DMs. So you can definitely find me there. And I just want to note for those advocates who have been with us for a long time, if you have a 2022 page created and you sign up as a collective member, all of your monthly giving goes directly to that 2022 fundraising page. So all year long, you can work towards your end of year goal. Look at the power of technology right there. (laughs) (laughs) So by the time December 1st hits, you're already 25% of the way to your goal or however much it is. So I wanted to clarify that as well. Cool. Awesome. Thank you both so much for being here. Everybody go do all the things, check out all their resources and cool tools and connect with these wonderful women. So thank you both so much for being here. Thanks, Dana. Thank you, Dana. Can you tell I love talking all things digital? (laughs) To make this show better, I'd be so grateful for your feedback. Leave a review, take a screenshot of this episode, share it on Instagram stories and tag positive equation with one E so I can reshare and connect with you.